0: He just runs right into the pack. Oh, I man. wonder if he's got damage. Look at that tire. Almost went into the, into the crowd as well. Almost this went onto the front straight away. Elio trying to get sneaky.
1: Maury then... Rose, a two-time winner, takes the lead from Faulkner. That's the way they finish the first lap.
0: Oh. That Davison had to get to his pit box. Very, very lucky for those crew guys Puts his hand out of the cockpit and says, There we are, folks.
2: Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Matt is here. We have some Formula One stuff to go over, including a recap of Spain and some news and some quotes, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So The top five for those who maybe missed it yesterday morning or I guess Sunday morning, depending on when you're listening to this, was Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Valtteri Botas, Charles Leclerc, and Sergio Perez. So the name of the game on Sunday was the Red Bull strategy versus the Mercedes strategy. What did you think of how that played out? Any issues, anything you would have done differently?
0: I would have been more aggressive if I was Red Bull, especially when you see it was kind of weird that Hamilton went from mediums to mediums, but at that point you kind of knew they were going to be full bore for the rest of the race, and the tires seemed to be a little more optimum than normal when they were fresher, and I think the wear rate was a little, I wouldn't say higher, but you could definitely notice more of a fall off. Yeah. So I was definitely surprised that they didn't react with an lap or two and bring him in. So credit to Hamilton. He drove the wheels off it, did a great job. The Mercedes strategy was aggressive and it definitely worked. They had what six or so laps to spare. So it definitely worked out. They calculated all the numbers correctly. And yeah, I guess on Red Bull's side, either making the first move or if you see Hamilton pitting, I don't think there's any harm in just kind of going with it, what they do. Cause that just kind of takes a lot of variables out of the way. And, can get you back. I mean, he would have to repass Botas if Botas stays out for the rest of the race. But as we saw with Lewis versus Max, Max was kind of a sitting duck anyways. So obviously you get, you throw more, there's more chances for it to go wrong if you pit. But I think staying aggressive is one of the ways you're going to be able to beat Mercedes this year.
2: I get it. Yeah. At that point, first step in, you know, lap 40, whenever it was the Hamilton pit, at that point you almost have to commit to the one stop and, and hope it works. And unfortunately didn't Lewis was just, was just really on his game. So I don't have any issue with it. You're kind of, kind of committed to it. You would have liked to see Sergio Perez kind of get a better jump at the start of the race. Cause he kind of fell back a couple spots and maybe that would have helped them out. But I, I don't, I don't honestly have a big issue with the way the strategy played out, but Good to see Daniel Ricardo have a solid day, definitely his best day for McLaren so far this year and the probably the biggest story and what is going to continue to be the biggest story is the trials and tribulations of Nikita Mazepin. He had a spin in practice 1 on Friday morning. Then got a three-place grid penalty for holding up Lando Norris in Q1 of qualifying, I believe. And I think that Lando said that really hurt pretty much his entire qualifying because they had to use another set of tires then. So got a three-place grid penalty. It didn't really matter because he went from P-last to P-last. He can't go P-laster. So out of... Rookies, maybe, if we're we're thinking the last 10 years, is he among the worst ever?
0: Yes. And I think there's a lot that goes into that because in order for you to be one of the worst rookies ever, you do have to be on one of the worst teams as well. Because if he was an Aston Martin, he would still be a second slower than Stroll, but he would still be able to compete for 17th or 18th or something. So I think him competing for last is the product of his team but him losing by 50 seconds to his teammates two or his teammate two weeks in a row is a product of him and i don't care what team you drive for losing by over 50 seconds to your teammate is borderline unacceptable i don't have as much issue with the the qualifying norris thing I thought that was just kind of a byproduct of a lot of people in a small space. Cause he had just yielded to two people too, and he needed to get on with it for his lap. So, you know, Hey, if that chicane wasn't there, I don't think it would have been a problem <laughs> if they had the uh, old layout. Maybe it would have been fine. I don't know if we can petition the FIA now because that site, like, that is a reason why it's unsafe because uh, all that delays we got there in that Q1, but, I don't know what he was like. I saw what he said about it to the press, and I kind of agree with him. He's like, What am I supposed to do? Just like disappear? Like, I can't make my car disappear. I have to like get on with my work too. And so I'm like, Yeah, I, I can kind of sympathize him on that one. But his race pace is pathetic right now compared to Mick. Or that could just be an amazing reflection on Mick. I don't know if Mick is just a god right now, but again, he's wiped the floor with him two races in a row now.
2: Yeah, it's. Qual- first off on the qualified thing yeah i it's tough honestly the only I feel like the only thing he could have done is literally parked it on the corner there and just waited but as a driver that's goes against literally every instinct you're ever taught so I listen was it a penalty yes, do I fault him for it not really but his race pace is atrocious it's it's embarrassing. I don't I don't and I know he's in a really tough car to drive and I get that, but Mick Schumacher's making it work, and we didn't think Mick Schumacher would be like leaps and bounds better than Mazepin before the season started. So I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a little bit of kind of like head case going on with tough car at the same time, but it's definitely concerning. I mean at what point does Haas go listen we, we just need you to sit down for a weekend like you know you can keep the sponsorship on the car to keep daddy Mays been happy but we need to we, we need i don't know maybe not Nico Hülkenberg you know insert random veteran who's not doing anything right now just to get a feel for the car and maybe they can help flush out something that will help you in the long run because it's it's bad
0: and uh, speaking of bad my predictions were quite poor this week. <laughs> Good. I had Geo. I feel kind of bad for him. I think I'm they, well, he had the 35 second pit stop under safety car. I, I don't think they knew what they were doing because then they sent him on that set of mediums forever and he just sank through the field. A la not like well, he lost as much time as Verstappen did. It's just Verstappen only lost one spot in the end, but I think Geo lost like four or five. Yeah, So I, I feel real bad for him. So I don't think the 15th was indicative of what he was able to do because he did out-qualify Kimmy. You had George Russell, P14. That's going to be a memorable one for him and the team and I think a fairly positive sign going forward.
2: He was running pretty close to the points in like 11th in that final stint before I guess his tires kind of gave out a little bit. So yeah, pretty good day for George.
0: Bad-eyed Ricardo. I'll eat that one. Good job. I I, uh, don't want to see Daniel do poorly, and I hope he can continue this trend because that's that's awesome. You have Botas P3. I think we can start classifying that a little hanging fruit now. Yeah.
2: The last time I I think, and listen, Botas had an unmemorable day, so it's not like a bad pick, but I think at this point, it's just not worth making that as as a pick because, Yeah.
0: yeah. We'll, talk well, did about you see the? Uh, did you see the race came out and said that they did all they crunched all the numbers and Hamilton Verstappen Botas and any sort of combination is the most frequent podium we've ever seen in Formula One history. And now, obviously, they did again this weekend. So now it's, I think, three or four ahead of Vettel Weber and Alonso, which was a byproduct yeah. of 2010 through 2013. So that's pretty crazy. Kind of makes sense. I mean, if we get somebody on the podium that's not one of those three now nowadays, it's like a big deal. So <laughs> hopefully we can get more than just those three on the podium. It's getting kind of lame. We will touch on that here in a second too. Uh, Dark Horse top 10, we took the Aston Martin team. Stroll P11, not a terrible day. Vettel P13, borderline one to forget. So...
2: I'll give myself like a very small pat on the back for that one, uh, but it's still not deserving.
0: You sound like Lawrence Stroll. And yeah. Q three eliminated with Hassan Williams. I had signs. who ended up P six. Go me. And Lisa was a little little hot take. You had Sonoda P sixteen. What do you think? Let's just jump into the, let's just jump into Sonoda real quick skip down to the rundown here so he yeah. uh he was quite fired up in the press pool after qualifying for those who don't know yuki Tsunoda, he is a small man but he does have quite the temper on him and if you've ever happened to have listened to one of his radio messages either f2 or now in formula one it's kind of like that scene in happy gilmore where I'm trying to remember what exactly. I, mean. I think Happy misses the putt, and then the radio or the TV picks him up, and all you hear is just the censorship beep, like over and over and over again. And I feel like that's kind of what Sonoda's radio turns into sometimes. It's uh, quite colorful. And so this one is he qualified 16th. It's weird because I think when he was on his in lap, he was P11 and then one after the other after the other. Everybody just kept bumping up who was below him. All of a sudden, he was P16 and out. And he went to the press pool and said something along the lines of, I'm wondering why my feedback doesn't match Gasly's feedback. I'm wondering if we have different cars sometimes. And the average fan out there can kind of make the connection there that we don't have the same cars as, well, I'm 16th and he's not, so is his car better than mine? I think today or yesterday he came out with an apology already. So it only took a day or two. Today's Monday that we're recording this. So I'm getting, I'll go first. I'm getting a little over Sonoda already. He had the great first race. The next two races were pretty poor. And now he just kind of getting in his own way. And I think there's a lot of things that you can get away with. As we've said in the past, like, you know, with George Russell at Imola, I appreciated his candor and his willingness to question why Botas is P9 when they're battling for position makes total sense. I think one of the things you can't do is start throwing shade at your team, especially when you're not like a front running team. Like if you are upset that your teammates getting preferential treatment while you both are battling for P12, I don't think that's going to, you're not really going to come out a winner on that one, in my opinion. And it's only your fourth career race. So I really don't know if he's in a position to be, making these grand statements about a team that he's still pretty much getting to know and getting used to everything and how it all works. And, you know, if you qualify P16th in your fourth career race, I don't think you're going to get fired the next day. I don't think you need to come out and make these excuses as to why you're performing that way. So I don't know. This one kind of bugs me a little bit. I don't I don't know if you feel the same or if you sympathize for him a little bit.
2: I have no sympathies for him. Let's, let's get that <laughs> out of the way with up front. I listen I I don't mind like the constant cursing on the radio. That's not really a big deal to me. I you know, it is what it is. He's a fiery guy. It's cool. There's plenty of other fiery drivers that I like to listen to their radio chatter when I can. So all good there. The the comment, I just don't know like I know he's he's fired up and and he's not particularly thinking things through, which is generally when you should just not say anything and and sit down, but he, this isn't Mercedes or one of the top teams that might be giving an upgrade to Hamilton before Botas. This is Alpha Towery, and um, trust me, I'm a I'm a Pierre Gasly fan, and I think he's a fantastic driver, but I don't think they're the team that is going through major upgrades for for one guy before the other because they're pretty much you know, a Red Bull sister team. So I just, I don't think that's really the case from everything I've read over the last couple of years. So it's just like, I, 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 I know he's frustrated, but at the end of the day, it's your fourth race ever qualifying. Like I said, qualifying at Spain is, is difficult because it's a, it's a weird track and he's, he raced there in, in F two, I think. I don't remember how he did, but I'm also I'm he's he's just kind of grating on me already. Like I'm just just at the end of the day. I'm like, Yuki, just shut up. And I'm not saying I don't appreciate his passion, but I think he just needs to when he's angry like that, he just needs to shut up and then talk the next day.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I don't see if he is slash were to ever be promoted to Red Bull. I don't see Christian Horner or Helmut Marko putting up for that for too long. So I think hopefully it's a good learning, learning. I don't think Verstappen would be up with that. Oh no. Well, oh, I think Verstappen would bury him too. So I guess there's that yeah. too, but driver of the day for you,
2: Charles Leclerc. I know he started fourth, finished fourth. Anytime a Ferrari is in the top five of this year when, Doesn't look like they're doing too much in season development work on the car is is a is a good thing. And he just had an all around solid weekend. He wasn't really in contention for a podium. He was twenty-eight seconds back of of Botas in third, but just a solid like a, a, a very good solid weekend, which I think is is very good for for him and his confidence as the season goes along.
0: Yes, he looked phenomenal. I am going to go with Daniel Ricciardo. Again, he's had a lot better weekend. He seemed a lot more confident in the car. He was much more chipper to the press pool, saying he he's, thinks he's found something here or there that can help with the progress going forward. So if that's the case, now McLaren's going to be kind of fun to watch. You know, When it was just Norris out-qualifying him by five, six places and Norris carrying the flag, it was getting a little redundant but if we can have a good team battle here with mclaren on two guys who are pretty savage on the track i think that's gonna be a lot of fun so hopefully we can get a good team battle here going pretty soon disappointment of the day who do you got
2: hmm disappointment of the day i am going to go with fernando alonso finished 17th a lap down i think he had to pit late for something. I forget. It pit somewhat late. I don't they remember pushed what happened.
0: They his tire strategy pretty bad, as far as what yeah. I remember. Because he just sank, too.
2: Yeah, and he, he 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 wasn't... you know, He was always right outside the top 10, 11, 12 range most of the day, and then sank at the end. So it just wasn't really a good day, considering his teammate Esteban Ocon finished in the points and was comfortably in the points all day. So... Sorry, Fred.
0: I'm going to go Pierre Gasly. I think he had a tremendous comeback on his way to securing one point. Yeah. But how do you miss your pit or whatever start box in the start of the race? How do you go over that by foot? Like, how does that happen? Come on. man. Yeah, he nice. didn't. Such an easy mistake to avoid.
2: He didn't miss it by like six inches like he missed it by like three feet
0: yeah it's so bad and it's just like even if you do get to the very edge of that starting block i don't think like the inch or two that you're trying to gain out of that is going to make the difference between you sending it in turn one and you getting wrecked i i could be ignorant i guess when that I, i'm not a racer but uh, it's definitely not worth the five second penalty uh so i'm trying to think just mathematically if that would have helped his race at all or not having to worry about it and whatnot. And obviously it wouldn't have hurt not to have that, but he had like I said, he did have a great comeback. He kept his head down and, and got a point at least. But those are the kind of mistakes you just you just can't have at this level of motorsports that was that was a little disappointing.
2: <laughs> I don't have much to add to that one. It's unfortunate I, I don't know how many places he would have finished higher. You know, he he probably could have battled with Ocon and Lando for the The top eight. I think he was too far back to contend with signs, Ricardo, and anything near the top five. So, no issue. No issue with that one. So, let's talk about my pal, Botas. The big, I don't want to say big controversy. The controversy during the race was Botas was leading when Hamilton came into pit. And obviously, Team Order said, okay, move over, let Hamilton go. And he made Hamilton work for that pass that's for sure. It looked like an actual pass and not Botas moving over. After the race, Valtteri Wimpely said there wasn't that much discussion. They told me not to hold him up too much. Like I said, I was also going to do my race and I am not here to let people by. I am here to race. That's how it goes. I'm you know, I'm going to go first cuz you went first on on the Sonota one, but Valtteri, know your damn place. You are there for nothing more than to make sure Lewis keeps winning. And when you go out and you try this, well, I'm not going to let people buy. He was going to pass you anyway, so it doesn't matter. Just the it's it's clear more and more and more every weekend that he is he is feeling the heat intensely right now.
0: Yeah, he's like a bad keyboard warrior. He just like acts tough, but <laughs> no way, no way he's backing this up. I'm, I'm not here to let people buy. All right. Well, first of all, I don't care if you're battling for P1 or P15. If you're on a one stop and your teammates on a two stop, and your teammates on your rear wing with better tires and more pace and more to lose than you. Again, I don't care if you're George Russell letting Nicholas Latifi buy, or if you're Valtteri Bottas letting Lewis Hamilton buy. You do it unless maybe there's a lap or two to go, then you race it out. But with, I don't know, there was like what, 15 laps to go or something. You don't want Lewis to be stuck behind you for a lap or two. That's going to be potentially four to five seconds that Lewis loses. That's like him missing his starting block and getting a penalty for that's just as bad. So you let him by. It's a team sport. It's not, It's not always about you, the driver. It's about doing what you can to get the most points for the team. And again, as you said, you need to know your place. You've had four or five seasons to prove yourself to be a number one driver, and you've consistently let everybody down. You have been a great number two driver. You bring home points, bring the car home in one piece, and you don't run into Lewis, and you're doing a great job at that. But when the team asks you to let Lewis by when he's on fresh tires and faster strategy, you do it. And then you don't get to mouth off about it. You get to be, yeah, I'm glad the team got to bring home a lot of good points today. That's what you say in the press conference after the race. So I don't get it. I uh, I really don't. I, I I, I, had to take three looks at that when he said that after the race. I'm like, why did you just say that? Like, now, of course, we're going to talk about it on the podcast. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500, on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.
1: Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? the outcome, and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favorite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.
2: Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I am not particularly a fan of the fact that team orders are a thing, but they're a thing in Formula One, and I kind of just... Accept it because it's always been that way and it's never going to change. So it is what it is. And if Botas can't figure out that he's not better than Lewis Hamilton, he needs a serious visit with a doctor.
0: Yeah, I think to comment on that, I think most team orders are very smart. I think in this situation, that is a very smart team order because that's for the betterment of the team. Now, when you have Rubens Barrichello pull over on the final straightaway at Austria in 2002, I think, when Michael Schumacher can already taste the championship like five rounds into the season, to have him pull over like that on the front stretch where Rubens dominates the race, now that's just silly. And that's just poor sportsmanship by the team and robbing a guy of a victory. I think... Uh, Lonzo Hockenheim with Massa. I think that was pretty lame. That one was also kind of lame. I, there was just, it was just kind of petty, but this one dead to rights. That's an easy call for any team manager to make. So I do agree. Um, I, I, I don't, again, I just don't see where Botas is on on that one, but if I can, now I'm going to switch into a super secret host question for Mike here. And I will say something nice about Valtteri Botas. Because Mercedes would not be winning all these constructors championships without two good drivers. Obviously, you have Lewis, who's balling out. And you have Valtteri, who is good for a win here and there. Pretty consistent podium finisher, all things considered. He does have the odd one here and there, like Imola or a couple ones last year where he's kind of just fades for no reason. Pretty consistent qualifier. You can pretty much count on him qualifying in the top three every single race. Good support for Lewis. And I think the critical thing is that he can be a nuisance to Verstappen in some races. Now, if you switch gears and look at Red Bull, you have Max Verstappen once again, up front, led 50-something laps in the race. Teammate is nowhere to be found. And I think we can assume at this point that it's not Sergio Perez's fault. Because we know, based on history, that Sergio Perez has done good at about every team he's been to other than McLaren. So every time he's jumped in a car, he's been good. Now he comes to Red Bull. We're still not at the five race mark where you got to let someone break into the car, but there is not that encouraging sign. Like we're getting from Vettel two weeks ago from Ricardo this week. I mean, he had the P2 qualifying effort, but I think it was at Imola, but then nothing. And leads me to my question that Stefan Wilson had commented to on Twitter is, is Red Bull their own worst enemies when it comes to not being able to get a constructors campaign or not compete more consistently with Mercedes because they are so top heavy with what one could assume favoritism for one driver or the other. And then the second driver is nowhere to be found and not able to help Max in fighting Botas and Lewis.
2: Great point. 100% agree. Obviously, they they make this car 100% for Max to drive, and the other driver, they're like, well, if you can drive it, great. If not, we'll just fire you in six races and find somebody else and then screw everything up and promote a junior driver and then demote him and promote his brother and demote him. And the cycle continues. So, yeah, I mean, that's a great point. It's like a... Dick and Ball sports team that is has you know the Angels and Mike Trout. Mike Trout has been the best baseball player in the world for the last uh, close to 10 years, probably. And I don't think the Angels have won a single playoff game in 10 years. So you need more than just one guy. And yes, Max is a top flight driver and deserves all the credit and hype that he gets. But if you're going to compete for constructors and you want to have a Second driver that is able to play a role like Bottas, you also need him to be able to drive the. You know, you also need to listen to what he needs in a car. So I hope they do that as the season goes on. I'm i I don't believe they will because it's Red Bull. But I think that point is a hundred percent correct. Red Bull is definitely their own worst enemy.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I can't. I don't remember if it was Zach Brown or team principal Alfa Mayo or someone this week was saying that we're not, we're not like some teams on the grid where we recycle drivers after five races. And I kind of chuckled <laughs> because we cl- think
2: Botas said that was it
0: Botas. Yeah. Like, yeah. Someone, someone said it and made me chuckle cause we knew exactly who were they talking about? So yeah, I mean, listen, I would do this whole, let's favor the one driver let's build the car to his standards, et cetera, et cetera. If that driver was winning the championship but he's not. So I'm not sure what they're getting out of it other than keeping Max Verstappen happy. And I think your Mike Trout reference is excellent because I don't want to, I don't think I want to want to be a person who runs Red Bull and 10 years down the road, we're in the situation where Max Verstappen has never won a championship despite their best efforts. It's like at some point, Something's got to give, and I think it, they're never going to do themselves any favors as a constructor unless Max Verstappen theoretically just like runs the table. He's probably going to need to win 75% of the races to win the Constructors' Championship if their teammate is finishing 5th, 6th, 7th every race. like The odds of you guys winning the Constructors' Championship if your teammate's are finishing lower than 5th every race is pretty low. So I don't I don't think it's gonna work in the long run. And they may be able may be able to keep Verstappen in her contract. New regulations coming next year, who knows? Maybe that'll flip the whole script. I I I don't know. Maybe maybe this is it for Verstappen and next year he just can't handle the car. I doubt that. But I think there's a whole lot of question marks going in next year. It's gonna make it crazy. And I guess we can kind of segue into Lewis Hamilton wants a new contract for next year already. He wants it figured out before summer break, which is going to be kind of a relief compared to last year where we were talking about a quote Eddie Jordan had like one month before the season started because Lewis still wasn't signed. So two-part question. A, surprised. B, how do we see Lewis adjusting to next year if cars become a lot closer and he's not earning pole by, let's just say, p4 onwards is more than six tenths off of his time usually
2: am i surprised no i think it's i think it's especially smart to try to get it done during the summer break let's say or by the i would say listen you've got three weeks during the summer break you want it done by week two so you've got a little bit of downtime how will he handle 2022 if things are much closer like Everybody says they'll be, and and there's so much change. Listen, we know Hamilton gets a little gets a little antsy and a little, little anxious when when things aren't aren't going his way. So I don't I don't know I don't think he'll I I don't want to say he's going to have a total meltdown because he seems like the type of guy that he can he he's got a little bit more composure than that, but. It will be interesting to see, but I don't think he will be winning pole by you know four tenths of a second uh, too often in the future.
0: I'm curious. I I I am genuinely psyched for next year. I just can see this massive shift happening for maybe a season or two. That's going to be really really cool, and then it make me just back to business as normal with. Hamilton, Verstappen, and Botas occupying every single podium on the season. But I think uh, I have only ever seen Lewis Hamilton in a bad car for one season out of the last 16. It was kind of refreshing, but he was also able to do a lot of great things with that bad car. So even if he gets a bad car next year, I still think he's going to be awesome, and I think it's going to help his legacy even more, in my opinion. If he's out-qualifying Botas and turning a P8 from a p19 starting spot i think would be cool but ooh, i don't know if i'm getting ahead of myself but i'm really excited for next year we only got one yeah. topic left it's kind of a slow week
2: yeah i'll i'll bring it up and but yeah i'm 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 excited to do a lot of deep dives after this 2021 season about the 2022 car and try to get some smarter people on than us to talk through what the changes mean and all that stuff, or I'll I'll try to teach myself as much as I can. But that being said, last week we announced, or F1 announced, that Montreal was canceled and Turkey would be the replacement. Now, this is, as of Monday, rumors that we've seen all over all day is that Turkey is now in jeopardy. Hockenheim and Mugello are being considered as replacements. I've also seen that maybe Turkey just switches dates with Baku. I think I think that would help like quarantine timing, et cetera. So I don't know. And I, I don't know if there's much to make of this yet, but it's kind of disappointing that one week you're like, oh, cool, Turkey. And the next week you're like, oh, no, Turkey.
0: I, I've I've never seen that. Before. I mean, obviously we're in a weird time with the last two years, but how do we go from confirmed to, uh-oh, in like a week?
2: Yeah, did somebody jump the gun and announcing it?
0: I don't know, but I know, well, I mean, Formula One has tweeted it. I mean, even when Montreal was said to be canceled, they waited two weeks to officially announce it. You're the one. That, so you're the one who pointed out the rumor to me. Was it, is it COVID related? Like is it's COVID numbers going up in Turkey, or do we? Is it just like a, a promoter issue or money issue, or what's going on?
2: I'd imagine it's COVID related. I don't know specifics because I I saw it in like six different places today, and it just wasn't a day where I had a ton of time to to read into it before. But one of the things I saw about The one rumor of Baku and Turkey switching dates had to do with pre-race quarantine time because of COVID and it would be less if they went to Turkey first than Baku because of geography. But that's the only, only one that I, I can, I could make any sort of sense of, but then again, I don't. I don't think it's a promoter thing. I. I would imagine it's COVID related, as we've seen overseas numbers in other countries have kind of gone up quite a bit over the last few months. So it's tough. I don't know. It's tough. This is a weird one. I've never seen something like this. And I mean, obviously, COVID stuff is very hard to predict. So I think we'll keep a close eye on this one. I. I honestly don't even know what to actually make of this. The at first I thought, I don't I don't know, it's it's hard to read too much into one rumor, and then I, I saw it in about four different places throughout the day, so it's hard to ignore it when you see it in multiple places.
0: As long as, as, long as whatever track is, is on the schedule ends up in the F1 game, we'll be all good. Yeah.
2: I, I agree there. This weekend, oh, there's IndyCar on Saturday, so guys, tune into that, but... Otherwise, we'll be we'll be back next week to preview Monaco. We'll have a bet ready on the number of passes for the lead. So stay tuned for that. Maybe I'll lead off the episode with what the what the bet's going to be next week.
0: On track passes.
2: On track passes, yes, yes. Sorry, there will, be,
0: there will be zero. I'm like, wait. So what did we count? If Hamilton's leading and has an engine failure and Verstappen passes him, does that count as a pass? Say that one again. If Hamilton's leading and has an engine failure.
2: No, that does not count.
0: So we're talking like a physical overtake. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, gonna, physical. Be, overt- it's going to be zero. So I'm okay with that one. Okay. I will not have right. any second thoughts about it.
2: Well, and that note on that note, we'll be back next week and I'll try to make the bet really hard because it's very unlikely that it'll happen. But guys have a great weekend and enjoy watching whatever racing you're watching.